0: You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekdays at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. This hour, we're at the intersection of climate change and religious conviction. As our Women of Faith series continues, if you've caught the series, you know that we're hearing from women who are addressing some of our most urgent philosophical and policy questions of the day through their faiths. Here's Janan Mohajir on working for religious pluralism on college campuses. If you take a class in which you're learning about a different
2: religious tradition, a different religious community, not only do you gain knowledge about that community, but you also, your attitude towards that community also shifts, and you are also more likely to then build relationships with someone in that community.
1: And here's Pastor Emmy Kegler on carving out space in a faith that isn't always generous and welcoming.
2: Just because
0: you're the only person that seems to be asking questions in your congregation doesn't mean the questions are wrong, doesn't mean you're actually the only person asking. There are other people asking those questions, and we
1: will consecrate them as holy for you and make space for you. The whole series, and we're pretty proud of it, is collected on one page and in a podcast stream. Search NPR News with Carrie Miller to find it. Okay. Today, two young Christian activists who are rallying their generation to care about the warming world. As Melody Zhang and Shanta Alonzo join us, I want to hear how your faith approaches care of the environment. If you are evangelical, what does your church's scriptural interpretation say about the environment? What do your church leaders say when they're talking about creation care? If you're Jewish, Lutheran, Muslim, and more, is environmental care an ethic? That's at the core of your faith's teaching. So I would love to hear from evangelicals this morning about how your church's scriptural interpretation speaks to you about the environment and what your church leaders say about it. And if you are a Jewish, Lutheran, Muslim uh, of all faith denominations— is environmental care an ethic that is at the center of your faith's teachings? 651 227 800-242-2828. You can reach me on Twitter with us. It's at Keri, K E R R I M P R. Melody Zhang is a climate justice campaign coordinator for, for Sojourners, and she's with us from Washington. Melody, welcome. It's good to have you on the show.
3: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: Shauna Reddy Alonzo is with us, Executive Director of Creation Justice Ministries, and also with us from D.C. And, Shanta. welcome to you. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for having us, Carrie. Um, Melody, we're going to spend a lot of the hour talking about how you and Shanta are getting this done. but But I want to mm-hmm. acknowledge why you two feel called to this. I'm going to throw something out there. You tell me whether this is part of the reason, because you know that many Christian evangelicals don't believe in climate science and don't believe that humans are causing the warming. So you're out there trying to correct that knowledge. Is that part of the reason?
3: Yeah, I think uh, that's a small part of the reason um, why I'm really committed to this work in the long run. But I think a larger part of this reason is that um, I came to this understanding um, after... Uh, seeing firsthand um, my neighbors being affected um, by environmental injustices and um, it came out of uh, a commitment uh, to obey um, Jesus' command to love our neighbor as ourself, um, to stand up for uh, people who uh, were experiencing the brunt of climate change um, and to understand that um, Jesus called us to to love the least of these. Um, And so it wasn't necessarily out of sort of a a defensive posture or Mm a posture of wanting to, um, uh, say, no, I disagree with you, uh, other evangelicals, um, that, you know, you're doing this wrong, but rather of, um, what is the, what is the right way to, um, to see this and, um, what would Jesus be doing now if, if he were here?
1: You know, I want to grab a call here because I think it goes right to the way we're going to talk about this in the show. So to Anthony in Crookston, Anthony, I'm so glad you called so quickly uh, because it sounds like you've been in a church environment where there was discussion about the environment in a certain way how How did that go? What did you hear
4: yeah so i'm a I would call myself a recovering fundamentalist Baptist okay and as a kid we were uh we were taught that uh, God would take care of the environment and that people need to not worry about it, and that the liberal scientists were just making a All this up to hurt industry Mm -hmm. So so, uh, Yeah that's That's what we were taught and fortunately I went to a secular college And uh, I learned A lot about the details of climate science And my opinion has since changed But it's unfortunate that I feel like kids are raised in that type of Environment and It's completely turned me off to the idea Of God or any religious uh, Type of situation For the rest of my life
1: well, wow. You know, I, I want to address that with our guests, too. But what you were saying at the beginning there sounded like there were biblical references, scientific references, and political references, all kind of meeting in this teaching that you were hearing in your church. D- does that seem right?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't quote... I'm not. I'm not a super scholar, and I can't quote the verses that he would use. But oftentimes, twisting the, the 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 King James version of the Bible to fit his ideal opinion of the way the world should look for young minds.
1: Shanta, I I have a a perception here that that's not the first time you've heard that kind of thing. Tell me how you how you approach something like that.
5: Yeah, Anthony, thank you for sharing your experience. It hurts me every time I hear a story like that, that um, someone says, you know, I, I heard terrible toxic things about our relationship with God's creation at church. And luckily, I went to another place that was secular where I got the record straight. And now I'm recovered. <laughs> but I'm going to stay away from church. Um, so yeah, what you're describing that theological um, posture um, is called dominion theology. It's a belief that uh, system that you know, our relationship with God, cre- God's creation is that um, God put the creation for our use and for human benefits, uh, and that God will continue to provide uh, in- endlessly uh, all of the plants and animals and uh, safe air and safe water for us uh, and for our, our benefits. Uh, and it is our role to take it. Um, and that is not the only posture that exists. In fact, that's um, a more... Uh, relatively new uh, reading of the scripture. Uh, If you look at um, different postures that people take towards um, God's creation, you will also see different approaches, such as a stewardship or caretaker approach that really reads um, Genesis as um, God's original call to humanity when God takes Adam and Eve in the garden and says that we're to uh, tend and keep God's creation. Uh, people see themselves as being responsible or appointed by God as their original job description, really, um, to take care of, of the rest of creation. Uh, others, like St. Francis of Assisi, uh, really took a kinship approach. Uh, you know, God's creation is my brother and sister, uh Or there are mystic approaches. Um, One of the older, well-known mystics is Hildegard of Bingen. One of the more recent ones is Howard Thurman, uh, where people go into nature and they have an almost romantic uh, love that they feel for the rest of God's creation, and they experience the divine dancing all around them when they're among the natural world. Uh, And so there are different ways that people experience and interact with God's creation um, through their Christian faith. And, um, Anthony, I'm very sorry that you had... Uh, that experience. And I do hope that you might find um, someday, if you're seeking it out, a community that is more in tune with your current understanding of your relationship with creation.
1: Uh, Melody, a, a quick question here before we take another call. Is there an element, do you think, of what we heard from Anthony, and I think what we'll hear from others, of if this was truly threatening the survival of the earth, God would address it. So it cannot be as urgent as those liberal environmentalists would have us believe, as in God would resolve this.
3: Yeah, I, I think there there truly is that element. Um, and I have had conversations um, about this before, although I do think that it is a minority of uh, evangelicals and Christians in general who, who genuinely believe this as the reason why we should not care um, about creation, and it might be a very loud minority of people. Um, and I would want to just... Um, Really, repeat what Shanta had said about how there is a fundamental misunderstanding of this interpretation of of Genesis, um, especially Genesis two fifteen, where God has uh, really called Adam to to care um, and to keep and to till and serve and protect um, our the earth, and um, it is really the the first gift that He has given to us. And so, I often like to return back to the original Hebrew um, and talk about uh, the word. Word, avad, which means to serve, and shamar, which means to protect. And these two words often um, appear in scripture elsewhere, um, where God um, himself is speaking uh, to serve and protect his own people. So it's it's used in reference to God himself. Melody, did, I, I
1: want to make sure I understood what you said at the beginning there. I think you said a it's a minority of evangelicals who believe if it was a problem, God would take care of it. Are you saying that in general about climate change overall, or just that that element of of it?
3: I think um, I think in general uh, with climate, I, I don't often encounter um, the fundamental reason of people not caring about creation as as because um, they believe that if the Earth were truly going to be destroyed, God would intervene. Oh, okay. Um,
1: I mean, because we know I I was I was looking at some statistics as we were coming into the conversation. I mean, Yale did the poll. I know you guys have seen this. Yale, 44 percent of evangelicals believe climate change is real. Pew Research has come out with, uh, you know, with polling about that when white evangelicals believe the warming is real. They're much less likely to believe that humans are causing it. You are both right. It's a diversity of views within this community, but it still seems like more than a majority doubting the science and then doubting that humans are influencing it. I just want to make sure you both concur on that or not. Shauna? Shaantha? Sure. Uh, so there, it, you know, it really depends on how you talk about the issue.
5: And if you ask questions um, to the um, the demographic that you're talking about in a different way, you will evoke a different kind of concern. Uh, but you have to root the concern in um, story and in what's happening right now. Um, if we talk about the um, more and more harsh disasters that we're seeing and the moral imperative to um, find relief for communities that are being disproportionately impacted by hurricanes and floods mm-hmm. and droughts and wildfires, uh, you will evoke compassion and you may even evoke um, an acknowledgement that these uh, phenomena are on the rise and that we need to do something about them. If you talk about air pollution and the need to have uh, moral compassion and concern about children's lungs and the fact that they're suffering from asthma and um, the fact that communities of color are disproportionately burdened with asthma, uh, you will evoke uh, some compassion uh, from that same demographic uh, because the words "climate change" have become so politicized. Mm. Yep. Uh, you know, they've become like toxic in certain communities, and that's unfortunate. That's actually um, something that Creation Justice Ministries is working really hard to um, unpack to help people understand that the climate has to do with all of us, uh, but. Sometimes you have to talk about it in different ways that people can understand that aren't going to set them off because they heard something on the, um, you know, politically
1: um, yeah, that, motivated it's a news. It's a really good <laughs> point. I, I agree that you don't trigger the automatic and we're all we all experience this kind of that automatic resistance because your political view is not going to add up to the information that you're hearing. If you've just gotten in on the conversation, Shantha Reddy Alonzo is with us. She's executive director of Creation Justice Ministries. And Melody Zhang is with us, climate justice campaign coordinator for Sojourners. And she's also co-chair of the group Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. This is part of our Women of Faith series that we've had going since April and then that's going right through the summer. And we're looking at how Christian... Uh, and evangelical activists, younger primarily, are in their communities, in their faith communities, and talking about climate change, global warming, the science of it, what the uh, Bible references on it. And uh, there's been an interesting response that we'll talk about with Shanta and Melody from uh, evangelicals who are younger and uh, kind of a diversity of opinion that contrasts with what older evangelicals, how they approach these issues, and a lot of that is because it 's politicized so so i 'm wondering this morning if you 're listening in and you 're evangelical what your church 's scriptural interpretation says about the environment and what your response is to that and then i 'd love to hear from people of all faiths about where environmental care fits into the ethic of your faith? Is it something that your church leader talks about? Is there something that you go right to a specific place in the Bible to to read about on this? 651-227-6000. Anywhere here in the upper Midwest, 800-242-2828. And on Twitter, at Carrie NPR, where Ben tweets, I was raised Wisconsin Synod Lutheran, and the teaching of a skewed version of faith has Turned me off from a religion, but not necessarily faith. The more I've learned how religions have been weaponized, starting with the writings of the Bible, the stronger that becomes. To the phones to Rebecca in St. Paul. Hi, Rebecca. Good to have you on the show. Hi.
2: Hi. Thank you for taking my call.
1: What are you thinking about?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm a student at Luther Seminary in Saint Paul, and Mm -hmm. just finished up or just finishing up a summer class on the Book of Job, Ah. um, and wanted to bring that up as an uh, an alternate view of creation, where um, so in the Genesis stories, humanity is sort of the the crown of creation, right, where we get dominion um, or have care over the earth. But in the book of Job, then God has these beautiful speeches at the end where He's talking to Job and um, says, "You know, where were you when the world was created? When I put the clouds in the sky? Do you know when mountain goats are born?" And and what's beautiful about these long speeches by God is that humans aren't even mentioned in creation, mm. um, and the animals that that God talks about aren't domesticated; they're wild. And so it's this, it's it's a speech where God is sharing the beauty of the wildness and of creation. And so humanity is a part of this, um, and in relationship with it, but not, not as the center of it, um, not as the crown. And so it's, it's really, a I I think a humbling, uh, stance mm-hmm. to, to remember that we are all a, a part of this creation and yes, we are called to care for it because we have that ability, um, but but to look at the the world around us as as every living thing is part of God's creation and so we're called to care for it.
1: Well, I wish you well uh, with your studies at the at the seminary, and I'm really Thank glad you. you heard the show, Rebecca, because you you've gotten us to something that I wanted to talk about with with Shanta and Melody. Melody, uh, we know that you can come to a sacred text like the Bible with a lot of different interpretations and church leaders. Uh, use that as an important tool for, you know, for gathering a faith community around them. But I I think as our tweeter also said, they also use it to say, uh, you know, to put out misinformation, as we're kind of talking about when it comes to an issue like climate change. Are you out there discussing the Bible specifically and verses from the Bible when you're talking about that, or have you kind of moved away from that and you're getting more into the science of this?
3: Yeah, that, that's a really great question, Carrie. Um, absolutely. I am returning again and again to the text. Um, as, uh, Rebecca had mentioned, I think, uh, even in Job, it, it does say that, um, you know, ask the animals and they will teach me, teach you birds in the sky and they will tell you. And, um, over and over again, we see in scripture that, um, God has a deep and abiding love for all of creation. I think that, um, in terms of uh, what some evangelical churches may teach or emphasize, um, it, it is a matter of uh, priority, and, it, and it's a matter of um, perhaps what uh, the agenda of, of of a pastor or, or a leader has um, for that congregation. But if I believe that uh, if we do return to the text and, and are truly um, faithful to to reading scripture and in um, new eyes, we can see that. Um, throughout all of scripture it's it's truly infused with god's love um, for creation and for humanity and um, I also think of um, the verse that says that we are called to be co-laborers um, with Jesus to uh, reconcile all of creation to himself and that's why he died for us and that's it's not just because he died for um, people and only you know a one-sided sort of one-dimensional um, aspect of of the world but he he um, loved the world so much um, that he died for all yeah. of it and so I truly think that um it it doesn't do us good to to run away from scripture but rather to to return to it and and really uh critically look at it um in new eyes. And and if the, you look at the yeah, translation of God so
5: loved the world it's it's the
3: cosmos actually.
5: It's much bigger than our um mm-hmm. our earthly conception. You're saying the actual of translation. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh I also wanted to add thank re- thank you so much Rebecca for calling in. Um I I love Job and I I love that. I bet I would love that class. Um, One awesome interpretation that I've heard of the Genesis narrative um, was from an Inupiat elder who really turned on its head this idea that humans were the grand finale or the crown of creation in Genesis. Mm -hmm. This elder, um, you know, in in many indigenous cultures, um, they really identify with the um, generational narratives of succession in the Bible. And um, the way he saw this was, well, if we look at the story, you know, water is our elder and the sky is our elder and all of creation that came before us in this narrative, they are our elders mm-hmm. and we are responsible for listening to and caring for our elders as the youngest of creation which I thought, wow, what a totally different way of reading that text mm-hmm. You know, take out the anthropocentric view that we're the we're the cream of the crop we're the, mm-hmm. we're the best part, we're the end that we were working towards um, it's actually the other way around
1: So it sounds like you both are are spending some time talking about biblical interpretation when you're organizing on this and you're finding a way to talk about some parts of the text that would seem to be dismissive of the science. Shanta, you figured out a way to do that.
5: Uh,
1: I, I don't see a conflict. I mean, maybe you okay. could re- <laughs> rephrase the question. Well, I I guess I'm saying that when, I mean, Catherine Hayhoe, who was who an academic who has dealt with this, goes into—an evangelical herself—goes into communities, and when people say, but this verse would seem to say—and now we're going to get into uh, the earth's age—would um, seem to dispute the science that is fundamental to, you know, as a building block to global warming— and she she understands the bible so well and the science so well that she's able to say if you look at this from this perspective and i i guess i'm just curious about whether it becomes a sure you could read it that way but this but here's here's another way to read this that fits with the science you you can hear i'm kind of wrestling with what do you do with the fact that for many many years There are church leaders who have chosen to interpret certain verses in the Bible one way that would seem to be uh, unable to be reconciled with the science of climate change.
5: Sure. So there are a lot of ways of interpreting the Bible. And um, I will give you um, I work with a lot of different um, theological understandings through Creation Justice Ministries. So our organization brings together. Orthodox Christians, Baptists, mainline Protestants, peace churches, historically black churches. Uh, there are some people who, um, in our in our community, who read the Bible a little bit more literally. Mm-hmm. Um, there are others who read it more as um, a narrative of people who are wrestling with God um, in their time uh, and um, how big picture, capital T, truths emerge from those narratives. Um, the, you know, those who take the scriptures more literally um, – you know they they're open to the science, um, but I w- you know they're they're also reading um, the story that they've held sacred in in the Bible, and um, I I don't think that in terms of our current work uh, that is something that we get so hung up on. Okay. Um, however, you understand the creation to have gotten here, it doesn't change the capital T truth that God has um, set us here to be caretakers, um, to live in relationship with the rest of creation, to experience wonder and awe at the rest of creation. Uh, and to have reverence for the creation because um, that's how we respect our Creator. Uh, okay. That's a bottom line truth that we all share.
1: I, I am, Melody, I'm definitely going to come back on this age of the earth thing because I, I know this comes up, but I want to grab a call before our callers have to drop off. So I promise to come back and talk to you about that. To Danielle in Ramsey. Hi, Danielle. Thanks so much for waiting.
0: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
1: So, how do you come into this discussion?
0: Sure. So I'm an evangelical Christian. I grew up in church. Um, I always went to public school until I went to college. I went to a very small, very conservative Christian college in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And that was where I first learned about climate change. Yeah. Um, I, In all of my science classes and several of my humanities classes, we were taught about climate change. We were taught about um, how to combat it from... Big steps as big as um, majoring in environmental sciences or small steps like using the stairs in the dorm rather than the elevator. Um, and there are a lot of Christian academics who who believe in the science of climate change while also believing in creationism in the Bible fully. Um, and and we are we're teaching, our students, our children, about climate change. Um, I have three young kids that we talk about the earth and we talk about how we are supposed to protect it. It's, It's like a handmade gift from God. If someone gives me a handmade gift, I'm going to treasure it. I'm going to cherish it. I'm going to take care of it better than I would any other gift. And I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay, I'll just... I'll just trash this, I'll just use it however I want, and then they can make me a new one. And I think that um, a lot of us, particularly younger Christians, are kind of taking that stance of, we have only one earth, and we need to take care of it, because God isn't giving it to us as a constantly renewable thing, it's a one-time gift that we need to take care of.
1: Danielle, really good to have your call. Um, Melody, I want want to ask you about uh, this age of the earth issue and whether this is something that you encounter as you're talking about this. And, And I mentioned Catherine Hayhoe. She's a scientist who does a lot of work with the evangelical community. She's been on the show. And one of the things that we've talked about when she's on the show was how she encounters age of the earth arguments because... She encounters people who believe a strict biblical interpretation of how old the earth is, 6,000 years or so, and that you are not going to believe the geological science that shows the effects of warming over many millennia if you believe in some strict interpretation. What happens when this comes up in these groups that you're talking to?
3: Yeah, I have to be honest, Carrie. Um, Young people, you know by far accept and believe the science whether or not they are Christian or um, and I I think I do not see science and faith as diametrically opposed. My question really is do we believe that young people perhaps can live and embody a more integrated theology than this mm-hmm. I think about um, a, a huge plaque that lines uh, Wheaton College which is uh, I think which is named like the Harvard of Christian schools um, it says right when you walk in the door um, in huge letters it says a sound biblical theology gives us a proper basis for scientific inquiry and so I simply have not had many conversations where you know young people in general I uh, don't believe in the science of climate change. And, you know, I, I as an, a young evangelical, care very much about um, climate change and about, um, yeah, about the earth and its creatures. And it really, it really doesn't have to be sort of a, a, a dichotomy.
5: Yeah, building on what Melody said, um, my high school's motto was Fide et Scientia. It was a Catholic school,
1: faith and science. Uh-huh. Uh, call here from Melissa. In Grand Rapids. Hey, Melissa, hi. Hello. Hi. Good to have your call. What are you thinking about as you listen in here?
0: Yes, I was just kind of thinking, you know, as you talk about the age of the earth and all these different aspects of creation, we're kind of missing the main point of Christianity and our need for a Savior back in Genesis when fall happened, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, things were broken, humans were broken, sin entered, things that are in this world are now broken. They aren't the way that they're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why we're looking for, you know, we look towards Jesus to redeem humanity. He died on the cross. He died to save this world. And I believe that ultimately Revelation teaches that all things will pass away. The earth will be destroyed. There's going to be a new earth because creation is groaning. Things aren't the way that they should be.
1: Melissa, and ultimately, if, humans... I, if I might, you, yeah. you, you kind of sound like you have your hands full there. Uh, I think we have the essence of what, what you're saying here. And I'm going to ask uh, Shantha to, to speak to that, if she would.
5: Hey, thanks. It was good to hear the voice of your little one in the background. <laughs> I have a six-month-old at home. Uh, the Yeah, thank you for bringing up the brokenness of creation. And um, actually, I do um, engage in Bible study on that passage about the cool creation groaning. Um, it's very poignant passage right now. Um, There are a lot of different Christian belief systems about what will happen to earth uh, in the end days and also a lot of belief systems about the nature of the end days and what they really mean for Christians. Uh, But again, as I go back to the capital T um, truth in in our scriptures and what really all Christians can believe is that when and however we meet our maker, uh, we will have to answer for how we treated our neighbors and how we treated God's good creation, how we treated God's treasure that was, um, you know, shared with us to to take care of. Uh, so amidst the brokenness, you know, we're called to um, to be a light, to be a caretaker, to be healers, um, regardless of, of how things will end.
1: From uh, Twitter here, a listener, one key concept in Judaism is Tikhan olam care and repair of the world. All people are expected to care for and leave the world better than they found it. This applies to social issues and the environment. To Crail in Bemidji. Hi, good morning. Glad you waited. Good morning.
6: Thanks for taking my call call, Carrie. Sure. What do you want to say? Oh, and just a real quick shout out to Shampa. It's nice to hear your voice and creation justice ministry. Um I'm a Lutheran pastor and I've been involved in Creation Care Ministry for uh about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh you know one of the comments that your, your um um guests were um uh, bringing up kind of brought to my mind this this idea of um entering a toxic environment where creation care or Climate change is not addressed, and how a lot of the work that um, that I've had to do, and that many um, in our faith traditions are are needing to do, is address this kind of theological pollution that uh, has <laughs> crept in Interesting term. or has kind of been there. Um, and uh, there, I have seen. Uh, uh, a significant increase in concern for uh, creation, and, and, um, and uh, one, one comment that I wanted to leave before I get off is, you know, as Christians, we do focus on, on Jesus, you know, uh, the Christ, as kind of that focal point uh, for understanding how we are then to engage the world and uh, to know that in John 3:16 when god so loved the world that he uh, gave his only son it really was to reengage um humanity with its fundamental vocation which is care for the earth and that um serving and preserving um the garden of god's delight um and kind of bringing that back through the center with Christ um, really redeeming the whole creation. And that is that is what you get out of the book of Revelation, then as well.
1: Crail, I, uh, I, we do have a lot of people on the phone line. If, if you don't mind, I want to come back to the phrase you use, theological pollution. Melody, I, that's, uh, that's a, a precise and probably useful phrase. How do, how do you hear that? Would that work for you?
3: no yeah I, I think that's that's pretty accurate i I totally agree with him I think especially with with the fact that we we have to bring it Back to Jesus, um, and thinking about what would Jesus be doing today? Um, you know, would would he be sitting around in the halls of power, sort of twiddling his his thumbs, uh, debating whether or not climate change is real or science? The signs of it is real. I think. I think no. I think he would be on the the ground, on the streets, standing in solidarity with the people who are already experiencing the the effects of um, the changing climate, and he would be listening and praying and healing and and being with these people. So I think that's that's really accurate. We really have to bring it back to Jesus and who He was and um, what He did for us.
1: Linda uh, called from Millbank, South Dakota, to say faith should be something where we're caring for each other. It shouldn't matter the cause of climate change; it affects people all over the planet. Shouldn't we be seeing this as a care for other issue, Shanta? That's a really good. It's a good point because it takes us into the ethic that I think exists in all faith, with it, which is to care for the poor among us, the people who have less. uh, That is something that every faith speaks to, and that's a good way, I would say, to enter. There are people who are being more affected by climate, by by a warming world than others. I mean, we see refugees experiencing this in other parts of the world, and perhaps that's a good way to Uh, to bring this conversation to people who might not necessarily be as receptive to the science. Is that something you talk about?
5: Yes, we talk about that all of the time. Uh, You know, the poorest half of the world population has caused 10% or less of the global emissions, and yet they are disproportionately bearing the burdens of hunger and thirst and displacement. And that is climate injustice. That is why we're calling for climate justice. Uh, actually, this Friday, the United Nations will be um, releasing a new report um, that shows an estimation that developing countries will bear 75 percent of the cost of the climate crisis. Wow. That is a huge mm. injustice. Uh, it's one of the reasons why Creation Justice Ministries um, works with many of our um, fellow religious organizations to ensure that the United States invests in climate finance programs such as the Green Climate Fund and the Global Environment Fund uh, to be sure that we have the global resources to adapt to and mitigate the devastation uh, from our, our
1: climate. Call here from Derek in Fargo, North Dakota. Hey, Derek. Hi.
7: Hi. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah. Glad you waited. What, what's, yeah. uh, what's occurring to you in this discussion?
7: Well, I'm also, well, I'm a Lutheran pastor not currently serving in a congregation. I was a part of a conservative uh, Lutheran denomination for a number of years and what I found in my work was just the the co- the coalescence of of theology uh around climate change needing to line up with uh other political um conservative values around human sexuality, around abortion rights, about all these things, and, mm-hmm. and the way in which that uh, a strong evangelical fervor for the Word of God being the Bible interpreted rightly, aligning up with these political uh, ideals and political uh, values, um, particularly in the late 20th century. And my challenge was finding ways to help separate those and and in, encounter Uh, a challenge in the midst of that. And I think we've moved away from a a worship of Jesus as the Word of God, the Word incarnate, uh, to man, and instead a worship of the Bible itself as the authoritative Word. And I think anything that's going to change around climate change, around age of the earth, around human sexuality, ethics, some of those things have to be a new interpretive lens by which we see The person of Jesus, the the Godhead at work in and through the world, caring for people and therefore caring for creation as probably a higher value and a higher ethic than just a dogmatic, the Bible says this, therefore we have to take it for exactly what it says, forgetting about all of the other interpretive things and different languages and whatnot. So I think that's where the challenge lies is more in, in interpretation. That's my experience.
1: Derek, that's so well said. I, I can tell you have experience giving sermons. <laughs> that was really, really well articulated. And it raised a question that I wanted to ask Melody and Shantha about, which is, and maybe you don't encounter this, you guys, among among the evangelicals, you know, the millennials that you're talking with. But given the the political infusion i guess around climate change which we've acknowledged even the term i wondered if you know if you if you get this slippery slope fear which is if i start to believe what i think of as the liberal orthodoxy on climate change it's only a matter of time before i'm believing everything that the democrats say and and you know there is this perception untrue but there is this this perception that Republicans are the party of faith and Democrats are the party of secularism. You know, the numbers and the research does not support that, but that is like this overall conventional wisdom. So, Melody, what would you say?
3: Yeah, I I think that there is that element there um, that perhaps people... um, Especially on the conservative side, believe that if they if they accept the science of climate change and a rally for climate action, that they'll become uh, some sort of liberal sellout, um, and they'll have to believe everything that you know, um, people who are liberal believe. But I think that is really just a function of how partisanized uh, the term climate change has become and how politicized it really is. And so we need to make a huge effort to depoliticize this issue and to think Mm -hmm. about the long term health of future generations and figure out long term solutions for people and the planet. Um, so I do see that, and also at the same time, I see that Republicans and conservatives don't necessarily all deny um, climate change. And there are a lot of thoughtful and um, really um, reasonable um, conservatives who who do see this as a huge issue. And I, I see that you know Francis Rooney and um, Bob Inglis are are two mm. of those people we've in had, Congress today. We've had
1: Bob on the show. Yeah, great. Yeah. go ahead. I, I interrupted you.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that um it might be sort of a um not a, a narrow minded uh, a thing to to see is uh, that you know all all people who care about um climate change are are liberals and um, that is simply that something that we we need to work on is to carve out um, a vast middle of of people who uh, who realize that this is not uh, just a political issue.
1: Yeah, let me grab a call here from Peter in Eden Prairie. Hi, Peter. Hi, how are you? Doing well. What what did you want to add? It sounds like something piqued your interest that you heard earlier in the show. Yeah. Yeah.
8: So uh, I'm a youth pastor over in Eden Prairie, Uh and uh, there was a caller earlier that said, um, at at Revelation right the end of days, God will destroy the world and he will make a new one. But in actuality, many uh, evangelical theologians and biblical scholars uh, they have a different view on that. Now, uh, in Revelation, it is a redemption of the world, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, agreed, um, uh, sin has marred and uh, broken lots of things, uh, the world itself, climate, whatever. Um, but at the end of days, uh, when Jesus returns, he will redeem the world and us as his uh, co-rulers in Genesis one and two, as co-rulers with Him, we are agents of redemption as well. He's the so, primary agent; we're secondary agents, but we are agents with Him in the redemption of the world. So that is so that calls us to our uh, stewardship of creation care.
1: So, so Peter, I, I'm I'm interested in what uh, denomination that you said you're a pastor of a church. What's the denomination?
8: Oh yes, yeah. so we are eco. We are an evangelical uh, Presbyterian church over okay. in Eden Prairie.
1: Ah, so how often do you, as a pastor, are you talking about whether whether you're using verses out of the Bible or not? Just talking about this this uh, urgency of of a warming world.
8: Right. So uh, I'm the youth pastor, actually. So when I talk to oh, my the youth, youth about it, okay? Yeah. So so when I talk to my youth about it, right? uh my uh students they're all young, and uh you know climate change is very uh, right. uh, an important aspect for the younger generation and so i uh realized, oh, so this is something important to talk about, not just because uh it 's uh uh you know uh something that they uh are always talking about in their own circles, but it is a biblical mandate as mm. we see in Genesis one and two and in revelation, so not only is it important because it 's important to them but it 's important because that's what Scripture teaches.
1: Mm-hmm. Hey, really good to have your call. Glad you Thank heard the you. show. Uh, we heard from Brian in White Bear Lake, who says, the message I heard growing up as a fundamentalist evangelical is that the earth is given to humans for our harvest. We can do with it what we want. Shanta, I, wanted to, I often ask some of the women that have been on this series, who else they're reading and who else kind of brings a an enlightened perspective to them, and I'm interested in where you go for, I don't know, sustenance and, and you know, some kind of revelation. And um, who's who's tackling this in a different way that's important to you?
5: Yeah, in the past year, I've really um, become a huge fan of theologian Ched Myers, uh, who is uh, engaging people in. Uh, practice of watershed discipleship. Oh, um, really what's that? Into, yeah, delving into our kinship relationship with God's creation. And um, I've started the practice, actually, anytime I'm gathering a group um, or facilitating something, um, this is an idea that I got from Ched Myers, uh, that we all um, share what watershed we're coming from uh, so that we are rooted in place and we remember that we are um, related to others. So, you know, I do my work in the Chesapeake Bay watershed and huh. then um, that means that I'm, you know, in relationship with the blue heron and the and the crabs, and, um, and I have to be mindful of them when I'm thinking about my water usage and my energy usage because my actions affect them too.
1: Melody, um, how about for you? Who do you go to for, hey, this is a different dimension of the work I'm doing, and it, you know, it gives me more energy to keep on going?
3: Sure. I think the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Pope Francis's Laudato Si, um, you know, that came out uh, maybe two years ago on the, the care of our common home. And I think that was such a strong and um, transformative call for us to, to come together and, and care for our, our common um, earth. And really coming from a place of power and uh, such a strong message of care uh, really resonated with me. I also really love uh, Wendell Berry, who is a mm-hmm. um, farmer and theologian and poet, um, and I see that uh, he has just a, such an integrated approach to understanding our place with um, the earth and other people.
1: What a great idea. I'm developing a reading list for for this series, and I will definitely put Wendell Berry on it, so thanks for mentioning. Melody Shant, really good to have have you on the show. Thank you much. Thanks for having me. Thank us. you so much. And, and by the way, I've heard from a lot of you uh, about our Pantsuit Politics show, which was our Women of Faith conversation last week, where faith meets political polarization. If you haven't caught that show in the series, you can find it right now, waiting for you whenever you've got a chance. Just search NPR News with Carrie Miller and Women of Faith, and all the shows are collected together.
0: You just heard a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. To add your voice to discussion, you can call in at 800-242-2828 or tweet us at Carrie NPR. And if you miss us live, you'll find all our shows by subscribing to this podcast. You can send us your questions or comments by
5: emailing
1: talk at npr.org.